Hello, everyone. Welcome to Word with Dr. Michael David Clay. I don't know if this is going to be in any way, shape, or form complimentary (laughs) to myself, more so anyone else. I don't want it to be dismissive, though, because it is probably true. I just (laughs) want us to understand it. My dog, actually I have two, dogs are probably more influential to my psychological well-being than any other, any significant other person in my life. I have to confess that I don't turn to others very often for (laughs) the kind of input and opinion that I do with my dogs. And in that same sort of way, I'm not on social media. I'm not on TikTok. I'm not on any of the other platforms where influencers predominate. <laughs> They're in abundance and uh, have a lot of followers. Uh, to some extent, even my psychological counseling, the work that I do, uh, I suppose I'm an influencer. But it's kind of the same dynamic as me going to my dogs. I'm not sure you really need a psychologist to talk to. You just really need a dog. You don't need a psychological counselor, a social worker to talk to. You just need a dog. And for all of those that aren't of you who aren't dog people, it could be a cat. I suppose it could be, uh, I forget the name of the movie now, Tom Hanks was in it, Spalding was a soccer ball, and he was on a deserted island, and he carried on conversations with a soccer ball. Uh, The idea is that attribution is at base to all influence, and attribution then in psychological terms is what we put on whatever it is that we're talking to. My dogs just seem to pay attention, and of course they can't say anything, and as much as, again, they are somewhat, I think, by nature, as they are social creatures, I would call it empathetic. Uh, No, I know they don't get my perspective, but who cares? I'm attributing all of that on them, that they think like I do, that they understand me fully. Uh, even the work, the, one of the most sentinel works in psychological theory and technique and application by Carl Rogers was just show them unconditional positive regard. Let them tell you everything and all you have to do and be is a mirror and mirror it back. <laughs> and with that then, a psychologist... Psychological counselor, a dog, a Spalding, soccer ball, could be all of those things. As long as we remain neutral enough and didn't insert too much of our own opinion to create too much dissonance, you could talk and at least feel very understood and uh, with that very validated. And maybe somewhere inside of you as Carl Rogers would have seen it, uh, 
presented it, there's answers already in you. I don't need to come up with the answers as your psychological counselor. I just need to do a good job of allowing you to come up with your answers, providing the right circumstance, a non-judgmental one, and that there is a good in you that, that would eventually manifest itself. Maybe that's true. Maybe it's not. I do think that the interaction between the psychological counselor and the patient can be, if not is, equally important. And certainly there's some things that even with mirrors, so to speak, mirroring back, smoke and mirrors, there's really not much, though, that can be done to help you get past something you don't want to see unless somebody confronts you. And probably Rogerian therapy in that way of genuine positive regard and paraphrasing and active listening and all those great strategies and really therapeutic techniques that were derived from his theory. And, and again, it's very sentinel work, uh, particularly when it comes to the current state of the relationship, the psychotherapeutic relationship at least for the sake of rapport building and relatability. All of that is good stuff. But there is a place where possibly you need to be careful because as much as, again, that is all really fantastic if your psychotherapist, psychological counselor can remain neutral, and if so, they're not inclined to be manipulative and really want to keep bringing it back to you to come up with the answer, But if they're not, then there's not much distance between all of that and a good sociopath. Someone who's just trying to get your attention to get what they want to eventually exploit that and use that, the trust that you're in attribution and projection even, you've given them. Psychology Today, November, December 2023. How Influencers Actually Influence You by Richard Dancy, Masters in Science, who is an entrepreneur and a consultant. Online social networks provide a platform upon which influence can be created out of thin air. Psychologist Robert Sildini's bedrock principles of influence outlined in 1984 are all at play on these networks. See, for example, how successful influencers share engaging stories that resonate with an audience. Frequent postings and interactions help make influencers more relatable to fans and give followers a sense of intimacy. Many influencers also manage to establish themselves as experts or authorities within their niches or niches, even without the accreditation or gravitas of trained researchers. Parasocial love. Man is by nature a social animal, as Aristotle pointed out. But we're not especially picky about how real our connections are. People routinely form parasocial relationships, feeling a deep emotional connection to someone someone without any direct interaction. 
We feel as if we know our favorite movie stars personally. And when the voice of a podcaster (laughs) fills a room, we feel less alone. We recognize familiar faces, both on the internet and on the street, and form a sense of attachment to people we've never met. Decades ago, the medium of television ramped up parasocial relationships by bringing the faces of popular personalities into people's living rooms. In a 1956 paper, sociologists Donald Horton and Richard Wohl referred to this phenomenon as intimacy at a distance. The influence of parasocial connections has only increased as online platforms have emerged. Technology proposes itself as the architect of our intimacies, sociologist Sherry Turkle suggested in her book, Alone Together, in which she explored how technology can both shape and replace face-to-face interactions. As work becomes more remote and more of our real-life interactions shift to the cloud, the distinction between real and virtual has become less clear, creating an opportunity for canny online personalities who seek to become as familiar to us and as influential as our closest friends. Selling points. Marketers have long understood that friends and role models can significantly influence our buying decisions. Companies have asked famous people to endorse products since at least the 1920s, but who actually qualifies as a celebrity has changed since the rise of reality TV, YouTube, and Instagram. It's harder to dismiss the notion that online influencers with instant access to millions are now our truest celebrities. No wonder major brands seek them out for endorsements. Many influencers began their careers as amateur social media users and have learned the hard way that publicity and fame are double-edged swords. Do it well, and you can become an opinion leader for a community of such size and strength that you cannot be ignored. Do it wrong, and you can become a public enemy. As for us users, it's important to understand who's really influencing us when we make purchasing decisions. Some estimates suggest that social media endorsements help sell $2 billion worth of products a year, giving influencers plenty of incentives to continue blurring the lines between friend and marketer. It was once suggested that at our core, we are the average of our five closest friends. But today, as the parasocial pushes out the face-to-face, we may be more the average of our five closest influencers. Psychology Today, November, December 2023. How influencers actually influence you by Richard Vancey, Masters of Science, who is an entrepreneur and a consultant. Now, I mentioned sociopathy a moment ago. I don't necessarily want to make an undue connection or correlation between marketing, sales, and sociopathy. But I think 
as much marketing and sales has any aspect of rapport, it really isn't about the person who is the salesperson, the marketer. It isn't about the influencer, except that they would somehow pay attention to whomever it is that is the buyer who they're selling the product or the idea as a product to. And with that, be really, really good at mirroring back what you're saying and what you are doing along the way for the sake of possibly that whole social dimension of relationship, empathy, as well as perspective taking, it is the essence of rapport. That's why all of that work that Carl Rogers did has become so much a mainstay and a base as far as principles go to good psychological counseling because unless you establish relatability and rapport, you are not going to get to any place where out of that you can then begin to influence a person. Of course, again, once more, with psychological counseling, we want that to be empirically sound. We want it to do with, we want to do it within the context of ethics and virtue and what we know to be highest order of research and science with fact in mind, devoid of too much personal opinion. It's hard to separate the individual as the psychotherapist, psychological counselor, and their personality entirely from the exchange but were to be as neutral and benign as possible, but still hold some degree of energy. <laughs> and with that, have that relationship turn out to be as authentic and genuine as it possibly can be, which, is, which are Rogerian principles as well, so that we then might have some opportunity to generalize that to hopefully what are genuine and authentic relationships. Not just for the sake of selling ideas or manipulating individuals <laughs> as sociopaths might or marketers. And again, I don't want to say marketing is a sociopathic pursuit. But sociopathy is devoid of a conscience. <laughs> we should have at least some higher order ordered ethical standard of conscious or at least some awareness lest we fall into that trap of being nothing more than a bunch of sociopaths and then you mix a little bit of money with that the exchange rate and before you know it you're vulnerable to being manipulated controlled but I don't know that it's only psychological counselors salespeople, or marketers I think the political machine operates off the similar principles but really the good news in all of this is although that sounds terrible and it all comes back to that old adage of buyer beware just realize you cannot mistaken your attribution for the sake of rapport, for the sake of empathy and perspective taking, you cannot do that without at least occasionally checking to see what the other person really thinks and what they really feel. You don't have to necessarily tempt them or test them in a way that's tempting their honesty. But you do have to find out where their conscience is at, where their values are at. Do they have any sort of values? Is there any sort of virtue? 
Again, for the psychological counseling, we put that within the context of that personification of psychological technique, intervention, theory, like a medical doctor. We want to be personable. We need to be, but we also want to be (laughs) objective, empirically sound. Not so that we then might influence to the end of passing on what we think is right or wrong, but really listening for and reflecting back, mirroring back what you tell us is important, you as a patient, is important to you. And how that then fits with what we know are the most adaptive, would be the most adaptive sort of way to conduct your life. We'll roll out the statistics. We'll take a look at all of the research. Again, that's why it needs to be evidence-based, empirically sound. That's why we are held to such ethical considerations, constraints. Influencers are not. If they aren't vetted in such a manner or way, or would not have such professionalism or the requirement of professionalism, But you control that because if you think you can trust anyone or in absence of feedback, my dogs, or Spalding the soccer ball, you start to fill in the gaps too much, that's genuinely and generally how they manipulate you. And once they have your attention... Once you feel understood, once you believe they think like you think, then the rapport itself, as you've now become somewhat locked in, it's harder and more difficult to break. And because at some level, though we might start to feel dissonance, once you're starting to understand you've been manipulated, oddly enough, most people will not then... (laughs) true to science, be true to empiricism, try to then retreat to some lens of objectivity to just recalibrate, they'll go ahead and sort of in denial. They don't want to think that they're being tricked or fooled. Maybe they feel in this parasocial sort of way that these people really understand me. They're They're really my friends. They really unconditionally love me. But really, without any conscience, all that is is license to manipulate you. And you have to be objective. You have to step back. Even within psychological counseling, not all psychological counselors are created the same. Not all are capable of such higher ordered sort of standards. They're going to have good days and bad days. They're going to be able to filter those personal dimensions out some days better than others. They too are subject to transference, counter-transference, all the things that would then corrupt that objectivity and the scientific aspects of the endeavor as foundation, as base to helping you to discover what's best, not for them, especially if it means exploiting you, but for you. My dogs are innocent in that they're totally relying upon me. Uh, But they get away with a lot of things that they possibly shouldn't get away with simply because, oh, they're really good dogs. They really mean well. 
you're kind of like children, they're innocent. When I know full well, some of it is just devious and mischievous. And their intentions are really just to get away with what they need to get away with, which, again, may or may not be evil. But rather than attribute it all to evil, I just need to see it objectively. I think that's what I take from the article, is that we just have to adopt the buyer beware sort of attitude about influencers. And if we've sold the farm, sold out completely, then really it's not much different than brainwashing or becoming part of a cult. Cult of personality. And why, again, I mentioned politics. We need to hold science and empiricism. Evidence-based, hypothetico-deductive, inductive, hypothetico-reasoning. Rationality, logic. It's going to be salted with emotions. We are emotional creatures as well. Emotions let us know when we have need. You can't filter that out. When there's something that's unhealthy for us, it usually causes us pain, which is a predominant emotion. But all of it has to pass the muster of higher cortical sort of thought processes. Logic, reasoning, science, empiricism, evidence-based. Go to somebody with credential, education, knowledge. They can be friendly and they can be personable and they can be empathetic. But they also need to be highest order, at least majority of the time, committed to this highest order of thinking. Or they're going to cause more harm than they are good. And should it just be benign, it won't help you. And since there is money attached to this, there's going to be an exchange rate, you could find yourself being sociopathically manipulated just as much by a psychological counselor as a politician, as a pastor or a religious leader, as as anybody, a marketer. We've all got an angle. Just are we willing to disclose it and do the best we can to not lose sight of that so that we don't contaminate the highest order of relationships? If we're going to hold out psychological counseling as one of those highest order of relationships, that we do that empirically in an empirically sound manner or method or way. (laughs) If you get that from the person with all the education, the doctorate, the license, the certification, you're probably pretty safe. If you go to the Psychology Today website, all those individuals would hold at least the minimum qualifications of degree, education, licensure, ethical considerations, (laughs) constraints. And hopefully so, offer you at least an opportunity to flesh out all of the charlatans out there. That are after something. If not your money, then something. Hopefully, too, if any of the things that I might say on the podcast would appeal to you and you'd want to reach out to me, you can do that as well. You can contact me at drmdclay at thewordhouse.com. You can find us at thewordhouse.com. You can find us on Facebook and at YouTube at Wordhouse. And though podcasting was mentioned in the article and not such the complimentary sort of context as with influencer. I'm hopeful that 
by listening. You know, I'm not going to lie to you or do the best I can to do on the podcast what I do in my counseling, my psychological counseling endeavors, professional pursuits. But should you not want to reach out so personally, so directly, but still want to catch the podcast, that's perfectly all right as well. In the meantime, between now and we get a chance to talk again, I want to wish you the best of not only good health, but good mind health, and remind you that you're listening to Word with Dr. Michael David Clay. Until we get a chance to talk again, thanks.